You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. As we move into this series, it's just a reminder that there is nothing in this world that's more important that we should be doing than telling the world that salvation is available through Jesus Christ. And that was a priority for Jesus himself. As he was saying goodbye to his disciples, he commanded them to go and make disciples. And so for him, that was the most important thing. And for Ridgewood Church, that's captured in our mission statement, making Jesus known through community impact. And really the key part of that is making Jesus known. And one of the ways we can do that is by living differently than the world. And as we move into this Sermon on the Mount series, I want you to discover that when you live by the values of Christ's kingdom, that you will be different and that people will be attracted to what you have to offer. And when they meet Jesus, they'll move from death to life. They'll begin a new adventure with God. And so that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's offering something new and something different. And when we live like that, we can make Jesus known to the world. And that's what we're going to discover together. And so let's go to the text if we could. If you have a Bible with you, if you have a phone or if you have a tablet, just please turn to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Matthew 5, 1. And the theme of this series is making Jesus known by living like him. And it's really about discipleship. It's about how to follow Christ. Because the kingdom of Christ that he's unveiling here isn't about power. It's not about status. It's not about performance. The kingdom of Christ is about repentance. It's about humility. It's about serving. It's about helping others to find peace with God. And if you are willing to adopt those values in your life, you will find that you will make a difference and that God will use you in mighty ways. So this first section we're going to look at today, verses 1 through 12, it's commonly called the Beatitudes, which simply means a blessing. And each of the statements in this section begin with that theme, blessed are. And blessed means happy or fortunate. And these statements would have seemed like such good news to first century Jews who were living under the Pharisaical religion that was so full of rules and burdens. And so the first thing I wanted to just say this morning is that the Beatitudes are antithetical to that. They have nothing to do with Pharisaic righteousness because Jesus looks inside and not on the outside. The Pharisees were all about external behavior. You had to follow the the law by the letter. And not only did you have to follow God's law, but you had to follow all the rules that they inserted into the law so that they could control. But that's not the way the kingdom of Jesus works at all. He's about the heart. He's about what's going on in the soul. And so when we begin here in verse 1, It sets the scene for the rest of the sermon. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So 
That sets the scene for the greatest sermon of all time. And traditionally, if you were in Israel, this is what that hillside would have looked like. Now, traditional, you know, that means maybe. Historical means for sure. This is a traditional site where Jesus would have been teaching. And when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, mountains are a little bit deceiving too because there are mountains in the northern part of Israel, but in this section, it's really just hillsides. And so what Jesus would have done as a rabbi, he would have sat down, he would have been teaching, and he would have been looking up at like theater seating on the hillside. But this gives you a little bit of an idea of what that scene may have looked like. And the crowds that followed Jesus were huge. But sadly, we discover in the Gospels that many refused to follow Jesus. Many just simply heard about this new kingdom and they turned away. And I hope that we as a community of believers, I hope that we don't do that. I hope that we can adopt these values because living by the principles of his kingdom will unite us. And it will help us to move forward to make Jesus known by living like him and by reflecting him to the world. And I I also just want to say, you know, when I was studying this, these 12 verses, it's just really piercing to the heart. And I found myself often just stopping and saying, Lord, am I like that? Lord, is that where my heart is? Lord, I don't even think I can preach this sermon because my heart isn't at that one. But I hope that you have that same sweet communion with Christ this morning as we move through these Beatitudes. So let's begin at verses 2 and 3. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this verse really sums up the theme of the sermon. The theme of the sermon is the kingdom of heaven. And what I want to do is give you points this morning in explanatory language, just flipping it a bit so it comes across in in a way that we can understand what Jesus is saying. And here he's saying, blessed are those who acknowledge their own spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit has nothing to do with finances. It's not about financial poverty. It's, it's not about a lack of courage. It's not about a lack of, of, of moral decency. What Jesus is saying here is that poor in spirit means to acknowledge one's personal spiritual impoverishment without the work of God. It's understanding the continual need for grace. That's what Jesus is saying. It's being aware of one's own lostness without Christ. And when we walk that way, it really becomes the deepest form of repentance because we are aware every minute of every day how desperately we need the gospel and that there's never a moment that we can just put God aside and move forward on our own. We are always in need of communion with him. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed is the poor in spirit. But there's also a reward here. And that is the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of heaven can be be defined as this. Belonging to God 
sharing in his realm. And, and that really is a privilege and an honor. And sometimes we feel like we can earn that. You know, we can, we can, we can just climb that ladder of Christendom, you know, and one day we're going to be finally make it. It's not the way it works. The way it works is, is when we walk in humility, when we understand the, the, the desperate need we have for the work, the transformational work of Christ, then we are children of God. Then we are walking in his realm. So that reward comes when you are poor in spirit and need grace. And then in verse 4, the theme of dealing with sin continues. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the mourners are those who are in touch with utter devastation caused by sin. And it could be said this way. Blessed are those who grieve over sin. We live in such a me-centered culture that I wonder if we even know what it means to mourn over our sin, to cry over our, 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 the devastation that's caused by our own behavior at times, to think of our own brokenness in terms that actually breaks our heart. You know, the, the Apostle Paul had that experience, and we see this in Romans seven twenty four. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul understood. He, he he mourned over his sin, and I can only imagine for him because of his past. He would lay there at night and replay all of the things. Now I don't want to give the impression that you can't be free and walk in the freedom of forgiveness. But what I am saying is that Jesus is very clear that sin should cause grief as we're in the process of repentance. But there's more to the story. And the text tells us here, for they shall be comforted. And you can be comforted in this life by a deep joy that emerges when you gain a measure of God's kingdom in your life. And if we can adopt this kind of mindset as a community and we are humbly focused on the right things, and we know and we understand our own brokenness, then people who are broken will feel at home in our fellowship. People who desperately need to be lifted up and encouraged will feel like they're not going to be judged here. And we can be a beacon of light and grace in the Western Metro. But if we somehow think that because we've walked with God for a long time, that we are at a different level, then that judgment will be harsh. We need grace. We need to grieve over our sin because that's what puts us on our knees. That's what helps us to receive the love of God so we can pass that love on to others. And this leads us to the third beatitude, which seeks to put others above yourself. The theme continues. It's about humility. It's about serving others. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, as you can see, the Lord's kingdom is opposite of the world. He's flipping everything upside down. No wonder the Pharisees hated him, because he was taking their law and saying, 
I don't think so. Here's the real kingdom. And here is what he's saying is that it's God that searches the inside of our souls. And it causes me to ask, do I really care about others above myself? Because that's what Jesus is getting to here. Blessed are those who are more concerned about the good of others. That's what it means to be meek. Meekness is a desire that others succeed. Meek seeks the best interest of others above myself. And that's hard to do in this culture because this culture says, hey, this is your life. Go for it. You only get one chance. You know, you're a rugged individual. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do that. Look out for number one. Those messages are so dangerous. Because Jesus is saying quite the opposite. The meek will inherit the earth. And what that means is this. That those who are looking out for others, those who are serving, those who have this attitude of, I exist to help others flourish, have already inherited everything that's important. They've already figured it out. They're they're already receiving in a measure that those who are trying to just capture life and and do it my way. I, I love when they play that song, you know, at funerals. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, and I just kind of shake my head and go, oh, no, please. The one who does it for others has already experienced the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And that's called living like Jesus. That's called making him known. So the individuals within this kind of a community exhibit grace because they know they need grace. The individuals inside of this kind of community grieve when they're offside with God and they help others to succeed. And they're content. They're satisfied. They've already received the measure of the kingdom. And there's, of course, more to come for them too. And then they pursue the most important thing, which is righteousness. And what Jesus will tell us now is that blessed are those who desire to conform to God's will. And this is where... We really get to discipleship. This is where we really get to obedience. And there's nothing wrong with talking about obedience. It's not legalism to talk about obeying Scripture because Scripture is here to help guide us so that we can find this kind of joy and, 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 and find the kind of walk that will be effective in this culture. But you must see here now that all of these previous beatitudes are necessary to get to a place where we can pursue righteousness. It's putting aside the worthless pursuits of the world, including pleasing self, including living in fear, or hating somebody on the other side of the political aisle. That's not Jesus' kingdom. He offers a completely different mindset. If you look at verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are strong words, hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Do, Do you ever just pray and say, Lord, I just don't feel contented. I I don't feel satisfied in my soul. I feel restless. I 
I, I feel like I'm in the wrong place or I'm not doing the right things. Jesus is saying, if, if you live within the confines of my will, then you will be satisfied. That's embracing his view of the world. And then your relationship with him will be new and different and stronger and deeper. And your mind will be transformed like Paul who wrote in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul longed to go deeper. He longed to feel like Christ felt, to walk with him in a way that he couldn't on his own. And so Jesus is saying, when you pursue righteousness, obedience, living according to Scripture, that you will be satisfied. And so this led to some obvious questions for me, and maybe these are obvious questions for you too. Is Jesus your number one thing? Is pursuing righteousness what you desire above all else? Because it's very easy to live this sort of Christian lifestyle, listen to the right music, have the right friends, go to the right church. Of course, you're in the right church, so you got that part right. But, see, the problem with that is that's not really what it means to pursue Christ. Christ is a person. And, and when we pursue him above all things, then all of these things start to fall into place. And so when you ask yourself those questions, it's really piercing to the soul. But I think we need to ask that each day. Paul, do you feel like Jesus is the most important thing in your life? And if not, what's blocking that? What are you thinking about more than him? What's causing you to walk in anger? What's causing you to want to put Jesus over here on the side? And when I can get myself oriented toward living for Christ, then that kind of lifestyle will make Jesus known because it's totally upside down from the world. I remember when I was in broadcasting, and, you know, people in broadcasting are generally terrible people. And that's why I fit in so well. But I remember how I would get up in the morning and I would say, God, I need to live for you today. And he would just say, just walk with me and you will stick out. And my brother's in that same crazy business and he's a television producer. So he's in his television truck and he directs games and he's got all these people that work for him. And he's got rules in his truck. And again, these people are, are not... You're not going to find them in a pew on Sunday, likely. But he's got rules. No profanity. No coarse joking. And I said, Steve, I said, that's, that's awesome. He goes, yeah, it doesn't take much to be a light in this culture. The same goes for you and me. We, we can be a light by simply pursuing righteousness through obedience. And it will also lead to a merciful life. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so what Jesus is proclaiming here is, blessed are those who respond to hurting people. And there's a lot of hurting people right now. Not only does the, the, a merciful person please God, 
But Jesus said their reward will be mercy. And so the truth is, the person that isn't aware of his own need for mercy will have nothing to give someone else. If we don't think we need the mercy of God, if we don't think that we need to be touched by the Holy Spirit, then we will have nothing to give anyone else. By contrast, a person who reflects the Beatitudes, who is conscious of his spiritual bankruptcy, grieves over sin, hungers for righteousness. She is merciful toward the wretched because she recognizes herself to be wretched. And then in being merciful, he is also shown mercy. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. And when this happens, you have a community who are pure in heart. And that's the next one that Jesus touches on. Blessed are those who live with a pure heart. And if we look at verse 5, or or rather verse 8 in chapter 5, we see that there's also a reward here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so Jesus is referring again to the inside. In Scripture, the heart symbolizes the, the inner workings of our spiritual self, if you want to put it that way. And so this is where all spiritual things happen. The problem is the Bible's equally clear that we are spiritually broken. We carry inherited sin. So this thing that makes us tick spiritually is already wrecked. And so we need something else. And, and later on in our series, we'll see this verse, and this really helps paint this picture in Matthew fifteen nineteen. for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And so, so what do we do with that? Because this is inside of us. Well, what we do is that we repent and we will what? We will see God. Repentance is a pathway to God, and he will become more real to you than ever. Don't ever feel like you've done something that you can't repent for. Don't ever feel like God is going to look away in disgust. God is longing for that kind of relationship with you that's real and it's current, and he wants you to come to him. And that lays the groundwork for the seventh beatitude in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And here's the point here. Blessed are the peacemakers. Or let's go to the next point if we could. Blessed is the one who brings forth the peace of the gospel. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We've talked about that at Christmas time. And so this means a couple of different things. First, we can spread peace by spreading the gospel, because the gospel is all about men and women and children reconciling to God and being at peace with God. And so when we bring the gospel to the world, we are peacemakers. And Isaiah gets at this in in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And so when you're out there in your sphere of influence and you're bringing the gospel to the world, you are a peacemaker. But it also means this. It means to bring peace to a troubled world as an ambassador for Christ. And we have been called at this time by God 
to be here. There is no mistake in the fact that you and I are alive, that we have been called by Christ at this moment in history because people need to hear the message of peace. And that means your reward then is you will reflect the character of God and you'll be truly making him known by living like him. Now, I wish that Jesus could just stop there and we'd have a happy ending like a Hallmark movie before we continue on to the next movie, which is the same as the movie we just watched. But, but it's not necessarily a happy ending because Jesus said we're going to be persecuted if we do this. And so here's, here's what he'll tell us is, blessed are those who are willing to pay a price to follow Jesus. There's a price to be paid for all of this. Look at verse 10. It, it ends the section on living in the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So everyone that follows Jesus, everyone who is willing to live by the values of this kingdom is going to be persecuted, oppressed, mocked, and if, if we notice as we go on to 11 and 12, and Jesus begins to deal with this topic that he does it in a more personal form. He goes from those, blessed are those, to blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so, yes, persecution is real, and it is going to happen. But notice how he expands persecution out here to also include insults and malice. But just as the prophets and the great Christians that went before us were persecuted, we can find joy in a future with Christ. And that's the last point I want to make, is that the persecuted Christian can find joy in the future. And this is such a beautiful thing because as we come together to make Jesus known as a community, we're going to face opposition. And it many times comes from within. And, but you know what? We, we can stay together. We can be a team and we can go out there and, and we can try to, to introduce Jesus to as many people as possible. And so this section of scripture is, is so great because it shows that to live like Jesus means to be humble. It means to be others-centered. It means to find joy in persecution. It means to be about the business of getting people saved. And when we do that, what we have to offer is attractive. And we make Jesus known by living like him. And so that's a perfect way to proceed now to communion. So I hope when you came in this morning that you grabbed one of these little um, communion cups, or may I say communion kits. And there's some at the door. If you want to jump up and get one right now, you can certainly do that. And in the day of COVID, we, you know, we're in a no-touch world, so we're using these kits. And if you're new to this, again, I should just put an instruction manual on video, so I don't have to do this every Sunday, but 
There's two flaps. There's this top flap you can peel back to get the bread, and then this, this aluminum foil kind of flap is one you pull back for the juice. But really, this is okay because what we're doing here together is we're symbolizing what Jesus did for us. And when we talk about the Beatitudes, when we talk about what Jesus was offering in this new kingdom, it all came to reality. It all became possible because Jesus went to the cross and spilled his precious blood in order that we might be saved through simple faith in him. And so as we now get ready to take the bread, would you pause just for a minute before we do this? And will you think about what you've just read and heard, the words of Christ? And what is it there that you can change, that pierced your heart, that makes you think, yeah, I need God for you to help me address that area. Let me give you a minute to do that quietly with you and God, and then we'll take communion together. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.